Welcome once again to This Week in the Ancient Near East, the podcast that takes archaeology exactly as seriously as it deserves. I'm Alex Jaffe, director of the Bob and Ray Institute of Archaeology at the University of Southern North Dakota at Hoople. Looking around, it appears that I am, as usual, joined by two real academics from measurable institutions, Professor J.P. Dessel of the University of Tennessee and Professor Rachel Hallett of the State University of New York at Purchase. We're coming to you from the Salah Mohammed Faisal El Kahir Institute for the Study of Egypt, here on the beautiful Hoople campus. Today we return to ancient Egypt to discuss the recent discovery in a tomb at Saqqara, of a 52-foot-long example of the so-called Book of the Dead. The Book of the Dead, which isn't so much a book as really a collection of spells for making it through death, judgment, and into the afterlife, has long fascinated scholars and popular audiences alike. Whether on a scroll from the first millennium BCE, like the recent example, or carved individually onto stones, a practice that goes back to the third millennium, The Book of the Dead helps cement the image of ancient Egypt as, well, very death-centric. So where are the scrolls celebrating weddings and birthdays, things like that? Is this just another trickle-down deal where elites come up with some kooky stuff, which is eventually aped by the masses? What did the skeptics and rationalists of ancient Egypt think of all this? It's hard to say, but I'm pretty sure that, as the scroll says, the apes of dawn adore me okay so here it is um very simple what was the last what what book are you reading right now huh um i just got but it's on my it's on my a kindle so i have to read it on my phone uh what's it the the book that i just was talking to you guys about the net the netanyahu's oh okay okay So I'm about to start that. Okay, interesting. Um, So I'm reading um, actually a book about, a fictional book about an archeologist, my second one in this woman's series, Ellie Griffith's The Janus Stone, um, about a British um, forensic archeologist. And I just got curious because of something I was reading um, about archaeologists in popular culture, and I had never read this author, so I started to read her. She's not bad, but um, I, I question some of her descriptions. Either either digging in uh, Britain is very different than digging in the Middle East, which I'm sure it is, or her descriptions of sites is really off, one or the other, or both. Okay, that's one way to put it. Um, I'm reading Against the Day by Thomas Pinchon. And I'm enjoying it very much. And it's getting just so further and further out there. Uh, it's it's amazing and, and fantastic. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. And this is like the, the third uh, Pinchon book that I've read in the last month. Really? Uh, back going, getting back on a gigantic 
Jag. What um, other pension books have you read? Uh, Inherent Vice. Okay. Which that is... I, that I read a while ago. Uh, and Bleeding Edge. Oh, that I've never read. Um, I still have... Um, Vineland and uh, and Mason and Dixon to to go, but but really, you know, might have to save that for the last twenty years of my retirement or something. Well, Vineland I read, and that was pretty accessible. Was it okay? Good. More or less, yeah. It was one of the first ones I read, but I think I told you Mason Dixon. I bought it at a used bookstore, and I read about a hundred pages, and I it was I couldn't even read it. <laughs> We have really different reading habits, the three of us. That's that's become clear. <laughs> right. Well, the question is how to steer this back to what it is that we're supposed to be talking about. Well, because you said, what book are you book. reading? I think the key word that you were aiming at was book. Right. But it's not really a book, is it? Right. No, it's not really a book, what we're going to talk about. No. Nope. I mean, we call it the book of the dead or the book of going forth by day. Right. But it's not it's a really forth into the light. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. sounds very much out of Game of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> um, so does somebody want to do the setup? Well, they found it... this book of the dead. <laughs> <laughs> it's 52 feet long. It's 52 feet long, which is one of the longest ones that they've found. And it's the first complete one they found in like a hundred years. Is that right? At Saqqara. Yeah, That's it's a first, it's a first edition. It's <laughs> kind of a weird thing that they keep trumpeting that this is the first one. It's a very particular thing, the first book of the dead to be found in the last hundred years at the site of Saqqara. Right. By the time you add all those qualifiers, it's like, you know, so what? Exactly. Exactly. There is a ninety foot long one somewhere. Ninety eight. Ninety eight. Oh. Right. Right. <laughs> you should have seen the one that got away. Got away. <laughs> It was this big. Sure. Right. So, these, so they found a scroll of the Book of the Dead at a in a tomb in a wooden sarcophagus or a wooden coffin at a tomb near the Step Pyramid. But the date, here's the twist. The date <laughs> seems to be unclear. Sometimes it's represented as coming from 300 BCE and sort of Ptolemaic, and sometimes it's dated to 50 BCE. So I don't really know what the date is, but right. some, and I also thought late. the sarcophagus in which the thing was found yes. was late period was eighth century. Oh the, no, I see. I see. It's it's eighth century through fourth century is the late yeah. period. It's, right. Okay. <laughs> so it's late. It's late. <laughs> but that's fine. We don't discriminate against late things. Mm -mm. Um, and and all of these spells that go into the Book of the Dead, they go back. To uh, the, the old kingdom, at least. Yeah, yeah. Um, pyramid texts and and all this. So the whole thing with the book, calling it a book, just get that out of your head, right, kids. Right, But scroll, Mis you know, scroll, scroll of the scroll. dead. Yeah, they scroll should be calling it scroll of the dead. Yeah. Yeah, we should copyright that. Yeah. Let's get right license, on. Re ready to license it, yeah. that, that phrase. Yeah, yeah. Um, One of the most of... amazing things I found about this whole thing is that they found it in 2022. Right. It was all rolled up, completely well-preserved. And in today's day and age, when you find up a rolled up scroll, 
I would have thought that there would have been all sorts of infrared photography and every impulse would be not to unroll it, but to use technology to slice, to take, you know, yeah. you know, LIDAR photographs of slices of it. So you didn't have to touch it, but nope, these guys just got a big long, <laughs> big, long table and whip the whole thing out. out. Yeah, it's, exactly. it's old school. It's very much old school. I was thinking yeah. the same thing. Why are they unrolling it? I it's a photo that. op right there. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. And they did release pictures of it about two months after they announced that they found yeah. it. It's pretty gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. very. I mean, it, it, the degree of preservation is unbelievable. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the other interesting thing that I was thinking um, was that it was noted in the press releases that it's already being translated into Arabic. And right. probably because I'm teaching this politics and archaeology class right now, I thought, wow, this is like a whole new new thing. These things are never first translated into Arabic. They're, you know, first translated into English or German or whatever. Yeah, good on them. Right, right. You know, good job. Um, but do we want to talk about the book so-called of of the dead and and what it's what it's about and how just per positively kooky? Yeah. I mean, again, I don't want to be too presentist or 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 judgmental. Um, 44 deities, four stages of death to resurrection, spells, names, 99 different, uh, no, like 199 different spells. Oh, I thought 192 is, different spells. Is it 192? So. <laughs> uh, I'll read you my one of my favorites. Okay. Spell 83. Assuming the form of a phoenix to be said by, and the dead person, I have soared as the primeval one soars. I have become Kepri. I have grown as plants grow. I have decked myself as a turtle. I am the fruit of every god. I am this seventh of these seven cobras who came into being in the West. I just, I just love that. Yeah. Um, the apes of dawn adore me. That's my, that's my single favorite phrase from uh, from the Book of the Dead. That's a good one. That's a yeah. good one. Um, Do you yeah, have any favorite I, spells? I'm looking for one actually. I'm in the process of looking because I do. <laughs> it's just uh, I, I I didn't have it open in front of me, unfortunately. Um, but uh, yeah. Uh, you might have to cut out this dead air here. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to take a short break. <laughs> no word from our sponsor. As I, as I find my correct PowerPoint that I'm looking for with my um, book of the actually pyramid text quotes. Um, yeah. And I guess we should say, I guess we started to say that, that the whole idea of spells began as an elite thing, right? In the old kingdom with kings of the late fifth and early sixth dynasty, I guess were the first ones to do it, where they would write these spells on the walls of the pyramids to, to enable them to make the transition from um, this world to the after world um, efficiently, effectively possible. Um, and then by the middle kingdom, they were writing it in coffins on the sides of coffins inside and out. And then by the, um, new kingdom, it had kind of become democratized, like anyone who could afford it could have a whole scroll written for them. Um, right. So this guy, this scroll was, was the, belonged to this <clears throat> official Ahmosi, not to be confused with all the others. 
Right. <laughs> and his name appears 280 times. Right. So it's really, he's taking it and, and making it all about him. Which right. Is fun. I mean, you know, he's the, he's the one who's dying. Right. Um, my my but, impression is it's kind of, go, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, clearly these things were custom made. Right. Right. I've had, always had the impression it's kind of like a fill in the blank thing that, that, oh. um, you know, you, you choose your spells, but then, and then your name gets filled in by the, by the scribe, you know, mm-hmm. um, right. So as long as you can afford it, you're, you're in good shape with this book of the dead. I wonder how long it took to write. That's a very good question. Juice this. I found my favorite spells, by the way. Um, Go ahead. Again, these are these are technically pyramid texts, but I assume they are also written in the later copies of the Book of the Dead. Um, and I don't really understand all of them, so I'm just going to read um, a, a brief one. Um, from the head of the great black bull has been cut off. Henepu snake, I say this against you. God-repelling scorpion, I say this against you. Turn over, slide into the earth, for I have said this against you. So I kind of like that because I kind of understand it a little bit. I mean, you don't want, I mean, I mean, there's a lot to talk about here, actually, in terms of what kind of spells you don't want. Actual we better get started things. then. <laughs> you, know, you don't want creepy crawly things, um, you know, disturbing your body, which you need for posterity. Um, so but they're not prayers as we would understand them today, really. Corrections. They're, it's like they're actual magical Magical spells no, or utterances. Utter- utterances. <laughs> yes. Well, um, you know, but it tells us something about about how they did they really believe all these things. Uh, I'm, you well, know, I have become I've become a turtle, and I utter this prayer, utter this utterance against um, you know being being bitten by a snake. But the snakes were a real danger to the mummy. I mean, that's part of it. So what um, did the skeptic in ancient Egypt, what did they do with all of this? Did they go along with it? Did they say, you know what, just put me in the desert. I don't I don't need any books. I don't believe in all this afterlife. You know, I mean, they couldn't all believe it. Right, right. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe the they Spino- did. You know, who was the New Kingdom Spinoza? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent question. Excellent. <laughs> Um, I don't know, but, but even if you didn't believe it, if you were an elite and could afford it, wouldn't you have it done for yourself? I don't know. That's like saying, would you, if you were an elite, would you, would you buy an expensive car? Some might and some might not. That's a good point. I probably wouldn't actually. Um, Would buy an expensive car? I'd probably just pay for my Honda and be done. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, if you were if you were a New Kingdom skeptic, and you said, "I don't believe in any of these utterances against snakes, and I don't care if I'm going to turn into a turtle," I leave my I leave my estate to charity, right? <laughs> to feeding the poor, to, or to, to curing diseases. <laughs> they would look kids? at you like your your kids would uh, would lock you up, and or you know whatever the equivalent would be, right. and. Uh, well, all right. So let's let's talk more about like okay. So so I just read one that is you know against creepy crawly things. But there's you also need spells to like you need to be 
you need to identify with one of the creator gods is my understanding. Um, and there are several creator gods and um, you kind of become a creator God in order to get to the other side. I'm not sure if I'm explaining this the way you need uh, to. Well, here, I, I, and I wrote this down because, you know, I did research. Um, there are four stages. You die, you go to the underworld. That's one. Mm -hmm. Two, you're resurrected and you travel with Ra across the day. Mm -hmm. Um that's why you're going far forth by day. Three, you travel uh, to the underworld, and there you're judged. Right. And if you're judged um, badly, then the the monster is going to eat your heart. That's um, my favorite part. Isn't yeah. that everybody's favorite part? And then four, you join the gods, and you become you become a god. And That's wow, what a what a little bit on the delusions of grandeur, kind of. Sure. Cycle here. I mean, very different from uh, from other religions where you're you're dead and you're and you're dead. Maybe maybe you get to come back or have some other kind of existence, but you're not becoming a god. Well, in um, in Nordic tradition, don't you don't you go to Valhalla and you know? Eat Do you become people? a god there, or you just hang out with the gods? I think you well at the very least you hang out with the gods, right? All right. right. Sort of an all, you know, all admission ticket. Right. Pay one price, pop. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, get on all the rides. <laughs> uh, but I guess we talk about this every time we talk about anything Egypt. Egyptian is like, oh my God, it's all they, all they talk about is death. Well, that's all we have. Well, we have Okay, well, where are the, where are the texts about you know, weddings and bar mitzvahs <laughs> and where are the anniversary cards that they sent to one another? And That's interesting actually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how did they express affection in while they were alive? I don't think we're ever really going to know. I mean, you have a, you have a writing system that's just emojis <laughs> basically. That's all that it is. Right. And you know, did they ever say, I love you? To each other. That's a good question. <laughs> we should have we should have podcasted this closer to Valentine's Day. Clearly, um, silence. Yeah. yeah, it's the yeah. hallmark uh, hallmark question. <clears throat> Those aren't the things I think they want to leave in in perpetuity, and it doesn't that doesn't serve any function. That's this is correct. very functional. Yes, it's a very functional aspect to this, like yes. how to get around the afterlife, how to successfully navigate you know, the life that really counts. Right, right, exactly. Because this life is just temporary. It's all sort of leading right. towards. Okay, but is it because this life sucks so badly um, that they have to focus all of their attention on the afterlife? Or, <laughs> and here I'll put on my, my Marxist hat, um, is it because this is just a tool to create false consciousness so that the elites can accumulate by whatever means necessary and extract from the surpluses from the populace. And yes, some of this kind of ideology trickles down, so they have to make it more and more complicated, blah, 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 blah. I don't know. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's uh, just really what you need to do to get through this major transition. Um, and uh, I actually like some of the physicality of 
about it. Um, I love the opening of the mouth ceremony. Can we talk about that for a minute? You can. I don't know anything about it. Is um, that the is that the where, where they take your brain out through your nose? Oh, they do that to just make you into a mummy, so you <laughs> so you can be desiccated. First, they have to scramble your brain with that little instrument. Right, exactly. And they is pull it, it out through your nose. Right, right. I'm not talking about that physicality. I'm talking about so part one of the scenes in Books of the Dead is um, that you you need to be able to eat and drink in the afterlife, right? So um, there's a special ritual that I think was actually done to the mummy as part of the funerary ceremony, um, I think, because you need, they had tools like a ritual axe, uh, sorry, ritual adze and blades and a spoon and other weird things that I don't understand why they're there. And a creator god, Pasatita, was thought to effectuate this. So basically you're touching these tools to the mouth of the mummy, uh, which is portrayed in some of these vignettes in the books of the dead, and um, and that enables the deceased to to eat to to use his mouth in the afterlife. So I've always liked that. No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> wow, two non-Egyptologists talking about the finer points of I know uh, the opening of the mouth but, ceremony. The, I I, my point is that it it didn't work. You are such a non-believer. I'm I'm the I'm the Spinoza they were looking for. Yeah. yeah. I um, just always thought that that was a very cool piece of the the spells that are in there. Yeah, but that's how the ancient Egyptians get you with all of this cool like ooh, we're going to have these ceremonies and our our deities have shapes of animals and stuff. It's like no, it's just this whole smoke and mirrors game <laughs> that elites and priests came up with to rip off everybody else for millennia <laughs> all of this fakakta narishkite i'm sorry I, I slipped into rationalist mode there for a second i don't know how to respond <laughs> oh well maybe if some egyptian in the afterlife could respond we'd get a so you don't think any of them believed it I think they they I think they said they believed it. I think they I think many of them thought they believed it. But but I think oh, that, But if you think you believe it, doesn't that mean you believe it? Uh but I think that a lot of them were were not not necessarily contemplative enough and <laughs> they were they were going through the motions and um enjoying it to the extent that I guess you can enjoy the process of you know, vivisecting and then mummifying someone uh, as part of your, you know, profession. But you know, we still do that today. You, we embalm our dead. Yes, I've I've heard. Thing without the nose thing. Yeah. I, well, that's you know, the, what's her? What was her name? The Jessica Midford, the the American way of death. Right. Right. Um. Okay. But on rituals, yeah. Um, and we also, you know, we have we have um, wakes and you know bodies displayed for for a while, and it's really, yeah, Jessica Midford, exactly. Um, so we're just we're we're no we haven't come we haven't come forward in any way, or changed or anything. It's it's changed a little bit, but it it's yeah, and yeah, and I think the other thing the other other thing is um, I death 
customs, people are very conservative about that. Even if they don't necessarily do anything religious during their life, they're, they, you want to give your person a proper burial and send off. I think there's a kind of a just in case factor going on there. Um, and I yeah. suppose. Um, I mean, are you, are, you know, are you picking on ancient Egyptian religion in particular? <laughs> oh, oh, I don't need, oh, I don't need to oh, hear from get, our listener about that. Or to get nasty scrolls in the mail. <laughs> That's right. I <laughs> find scarabs climbing all over me as I sleep. Um, oh, that's, that's another thing in the the first mummy movie the 1998 whatever one um they talked about like like the whole MacGuffin thing was finding this made-up city um that didn't doesn't actually exist and but looking for the book of the dead or they had the book of the dead i don't remember exactly right. the book of the dead was the main feature in that movie um so it's come into popular culture that was my point well, it's always in popular culture. That's the one thing everybody knows about. They ask about, you know, the Book of the Dead, the Book of the Dead. But really, you know. Okay. Let's, I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, well, so now that I've talked about the opening of the mouth ceremony, um, I really <laughs> want to- that out of the way. Yeah. I also want to talk about the judgment. Which, Alex, you just kind of mentioned briefly, but I think it's really one of the cooler- better known things within this book of the dead do either of you want to talk about the judgment well with I the scale and the monster non-judgmental i come from a, a five thousand year tradition of incredible judge judgment well good point try, trying to move on <laughs> <laughs> but but you know we we don't usually weigh our our souls our immortal selves against a feather representing truth or, on an or, actual physical scale. Yeah, that's true. And they do. It's pretty and, picturesque. Right. And we, we as the dead don't usually get led by Anubis, the God of mummification um, into the hall of truth where this weighing ceremony takes place. Right. So hall, I think all of that is quite hall of truth. Yeah. The hall of truth. Um, and uh, we don't have to worry about being eaten by, I, I have seen different versions of, of the God's name, Amenti, um, Amut, the eater, who seems to be part leopard, part rhinoceros, and part crocodile. You see, there you go. That's where you lost me with this whole, <laughs> this whole scenario. And he just cease to exist if he eats you. And I don't know, that's disturbing. I mean... I don't know. I mean, if you're so firstly, the okay, I'm, Egyptian society is so stratified and so rarefied okay. that the majority of the population is toiling in the most difficult kinds of ways. Yeah. Yeah. And then they get plopped in a pit in the desert at best. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Maybe the majority of people are just fed to crocodiles so they won't go after live people. I have no idea, but you know, <laughs> this is such rarefied, you know, it's like, we're talking about like, you know, tradi Vatican traditions on burying cardinals and popes. Right. Even if it's thousands of them or tens of thousands of them, it's still just a very narrow elite and some middle-class over a 3000 year plus history so, so they can so they so they may so they say all of this stuff but it's 
it's only applicable to you know a very narrow range of right so but the but the academic and the popular conception of egypt is based on on these kinds of uh these kinds of sources and these kinds of images and when we talk about what the the egyptians believed or practiced it's based on this uh this rarefied elite and uh so why are you against monster why are you against beasts that represent three animals just go with yeah. it yeah <laughs> so i mean what you know what in other words what's <laughs> Why are you agitated by any aspect of this phantasmagoric, you know, cosmic landscape that they I, I just see it as a as a form of of exploitation. Ah, but what isn't? Wait, who's who's being exploited? <laughs> well, who isn't? But <laughs> um are we exploiting the working classes? <laughs> are we exploiting the gods? Come, come see the violence inherent inherent in the system. Yeah, no, I but I, I think that it, if if we look at this through the proper the proper lens, yes, we could see we we could propose that the whole theological system is this cobbled together pastiche of local <laughs> traditions and deities, the crocodile deity, the ibis deity, the this deity, that deity, all these traditions which have been instrumentally, you know, frappéed into into uh you know this smoothie we call egyptian religion which is mostly an elite phenomenon which is the the means to the means to keep the working man down and uh build build pyramids until that went bust and do all these expensive arcane processes and and so on it's to keep order in the society. Yes. Well, it's to keep order in a very rigid society so that the people in charge can maintain their in chargeness. It's yeah. a it's a it's a pyramid scheme. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have to say that every time we do a an Egypt sure, episode. Yeah, for sure. It's um, in my contract. Yeah. So so here's the thing as a non-Egyptologist. There are so many gods of Egypt, and some are major and some are minor, and some are the important creator gods, and some are just gods of particular things. So as a non-Egyptologist, I couldn't talk about any particular god except maybe one or two, right? Um, well, but um, so I'm sure that the non-elites, the people working in the fields or building the pyramids, um, are not necessarily thinking about all the gods equally, right? And I think religion does evolve. And I think religion in the upper echelons is probably different than religion in the, you know, backbreaking field work. Mud whatever. for the but, mud farmers. Right, right. But um, but that doesn't mean that it's not sort of part of the same continuum. Um, well, we see this in every period also that, you know, uh, or at least every period where the Egyptians are in contact with, with foreign barbarians, somebody some artisan is instructed to homogenize this deity with one of our deities. So Asherah becomes, becomes, you know, some Egyptian deity and their, their attributes are depicted together in art or, or something. And it seems to me that that just proves, proves the point that it's a giant, it's a giant instrument. And, uh, 
Well, anything that gets wielded by the elites is a giant instrument. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, whatever its guise, it's always there's always an instrumentality to it because it's the way to keep the, you know, power. The, right. It's a way to maintain power. Do you think people who couldn't afford a book of the dead were worried about what was going to happen to them after death? Or maybe they had a postcard of the dead. Right. Some sort of stamp sized um, version. Yeah. Or maybe they said certain spells. I mean, I've said this in this podcast before. The funeral is, uh, the burial rather, is only one piece of the funeral. It's the piece that we can see archaeologically. So maybe people were saying spells or utterances in a short abbreviated form, even if they didn't have a Book of the Dead buried with them. I kind of like I'm, that. I'm sure they were. Yeah. Um, you know, but it, it it comes back to for me to a a question of how how the system evolved and and how it worked, and it's just so complicated. Well, I guess the the what what maybe what your the interesting part of all of this is the extraordinary iconography and you know rich world building that they did. Mm-hmm. and right. it's it's like marvel worthy right it, well it's totally marvel worthy and that's why again an early you know like stargate was was mm-hmm. was probably not even half as you know phenomenological as actual egyptian religion right so i think that there's that element to it um that is noteworthy yeah yeah and the fact that it all had to be um visually displayed which is something that you know we really don't see in the same to the same degree in any other ancient society. Now I think maybe the Mayan world sort of does this to a certain degree, but certainly no old world right. ancient societies do this to the degree that ancient Egypt. But the audience for all of these reliefs and for the texts and everything else was really pretty small. Well, that's another another really interesting point because you know this is part of a burial, and once the person is buried, um, I mean there can be multiple interments, and I know in the Ramesside period, big tombs and all this. Well, you but, don't see it anymore, right? That was yeah, exactly. You don't see it anymore. You're not the audience is at the moment of burial. The audience doesn't extend beyond that moment. No, yeah, but that's not the point. The, but they the have point... these funerary temples, so well, for some, for some the that moment becomes eternal right and it, yeah so if you but but a mortuary temple is different than a burial and you have all these decorations in the tomb right. on the coffins and the scrolls are buried in the in the coffins as well so that's but so so your audience isn't the living your audience maybe is the gods you know you're praying to or you're uttering to uh these gods you're reciting spells involving these gods so maybe the audience is the gods themselves i i think the i think the the medium is the message. <laughs> Got to figure out where I'm going with that one. Um, I I think the point is. I know the, it was a it was a good line. Um, the point is is the process. The point is is making all this stuff, and and saturating the visual world. And the thing I always think about every time I I gas up my car. And I, and I take out the thing and, 
and the gas station TV network flashes on on the gas pump and it's advertising something. And every dam surface in Egypt is an advertisement for something. And the process surfaces are again, highly regulated space. Yeah. That's, that's a very good point. Yeah. And, it's, and not, the, it's not like the it's not like the peasantry is perambulating around the Temple of Karnak. Right. Yeah, but every time you walk past the Temple of Karnak, even if you don't understand the the iconography, it's like, well, look at the size of this thing. Right. Look at all those look at all those fancy figures on it. And you know. And today the peasantry is definitely perambulating around, but in the right. guise of tourists. So it, right. I mean what the what the bulk of the population saw <coughs> were, you know, these royal barks going to temples, taking up and down statues, the river. going up and down the river, and then going back into the temple. Right, right. Right. But the proliferation of 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 official iconography in the form of tchotchkes. But it, I mean aren't zillion, you- zillions of scarabs, zillions of figurines, which trickled all the way down. It kept the industry going, kept and it kept the artists. industry going, and it kept the advertising, uh, the advertising of the the whole ideological structure going. Yeah, and you know, and somewhere there was like a, you know, a whole a whole barge coming from China with these, you know, with brand new boxes of these things to be unloaded. So it's a it's a system that promotes itself at all sorts of different levels. Yeah, and, and something that. Yeah, I'm sorry. No. Um, I, so something that just occurred to me is, you know, when there's a royal funeral, I'll bet all commercial traffic is, stops. Like I'm thinking, you know, Queen Elizabeth's funerals, you know, that was not a regular go about your business in London day. Uh, roads are closed and all that. Do you, do you stop all other boats on the Nile when there's a royal funeral? You probably do. What about for an important member of the royal family who's not the king? Like how often... How how disruptive to daily life are the death activities of the elites? Neither of you have an answer. People are always dying. Yeah. I, I don't understand why you find this <laughs> so noteworthy. I mean, this is how hierarchical societies organize themselves. I, yeah, probably- but it doesn't but the point is the the pervasiveness of the visual. The visual advertising, the visual messaging. Yeah, but was Islam or Christianity any less pervasive in any point? Well, but you're dealing with uh, much, much more literate societies, or where literacy was much more pervasive at that point, for one thing. Um, And you still get all the iconography, and you still get all the symbolism. Medieval Europe is replete with it. That's, that's... Right, and that's a very good example because there, for one thing, literacy is is minimal, and uh, so you have the whole visual program of uh, of the religion that's depicted on these cathedrals, on the exterior of the cathedrals. You also have the creation of figurines and candles, right. the 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 tchotchke economy. Right. right. Well, that on that level, everybody can participate. You know, everybody can buy a candle. It's fun for the whole family. I wonder, can everybody buy a scarab? Probably. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Or a shabdi. Yeah, or, or a shabdi. Everybody can buy a shabdi, or at least, well, I don't know about everybody. Um, I don't know. 
Um, I, I think it's interesting to to sort of think about the realities of it. You know, we're we're archaeologists and, um, and the historians are historians, but but to just kind of yeah, they have these spells, but how did it affect the community? I think we're often afraid to speculate when we don't have direct evidence. Um, well, some people, yeah, I mean, so what? and some people aren't. I mean, some people speculate wildly, and others don't. I think that's right. a very that's the sort of personal nature of scholarship. Well, I guess that's true. I speculate wildly in this podcast. Right. No, no I keep I it 100% factual. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. <laughs> it's grounded in empirical um, reality uh, right. for me on this podcast. <laughs> hence, my, hence my Marxian rants. Yeah, that um, was interesting, your Marxian. I don't know where that came from, really. I guess you did too much preparation. Could be. Or too much coffee. Kind of. <laughs> Very feeling very jazzed up um, at the okay. moment. <laughs> I just like I like the little Ba figure who flies who flies uh, with the he has a kind of owl feet and he flies around during the day with right. the, the soul with that yeah the soul right. that your soul back. Yeah. it's just all so um, strangely picturesque and the only thing I can think of is as as uh, our colleague pointed out is. Um, medieval Europe, where you have you know the this elaborate kookiness factor. Yeah, but that's just one example. There are many examples. Think of the whole, you know, think of the whole Hindu world, thousands of years of in India, in which you get incredible lavish depictions of a polytheistic society with all sorts of complex gods and goddesses that are animals and people and multi-arms and, you know, everything else. I think it's a very common thing. And I think once, you know, as you said, there's a, a kind of an agglutinative process in deep time or prehistory when all of these building blocks are being put together. And then once, once it, once it sort of crystallizes or is forged and it's, and it's, you know, glommed right onto political leadership, there's no, there's no point for any elite to undermine it because it is in fact the method and it's the bread and circus. It keeps order. It keeps order. It also keeps people employed. It keeps all these artisans. Employed. Right, which keeps them happy. Yeah. I mean, yes. In theory. Right, 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 right. Um, docile. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It's False consciousness is like that. It's hierarchy. And I guess the more you know, crazy illustrative material you have, the better. Yeah. But you didn't have that in uh, in Mesopotamia the same way. All no, of the all the of the way. all of the craziest um uh you know f figural traditions are on the inside of structures. Well there's a, there's a whole seal tradition with all sorts of crazy shit on seals. That's true. But but I think every society has its own, you know, language. Yeah. Visual language. Visual yeah. language, but also, you know, it's a whole, it's their own semiotics and, mm -hmm. and, and the media that they use. That's the word of the day. Yeah. Well, ding, ding, ding. That's very good. <laughs> That's the first time that word has been used on this, uh, on this broadcast. So, you know, every society is going to have its own way of doing things in order to create that degree of structure and order and, you know, internal 
comprehension and consistency and, you know, explanations for what happens when you die and explanations of why you are on earth to begin with. I mean, it's all that religion stuff. It's right. religion. It's religion. Right. Um, yeah. Well, I, I don't know the, 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 I don't know. So I want to come back to I want to come back to the actual fifty-two foot long papyrus that they found. Yeah, it's a nice one. I didn't start. I wanted to stick with that. Right, right. Well, Alex didn't. (laughs) Um, But uh, just the fact that the way, as as you pointed out at the very beginning, that you know this is a big deal, and it's the press release about it is a big deal, even though when you drill down, it's the only one found recently in Saqqara. All that, but but. The Book of the Dead continues to fascinate the public, I guess, is what I'm getting at. It's something very, very Egypty, if you know what I mean, within popular culture. And mm-hmm. um, and that's why that's why this is kind of a big deal press release. That's that's all I want to say. <laughs> Um, in, in spite of what we're, you know, we're getting down into the, into the, you know, nitty gritty of religion and philosophy and, and class warfare and so on. But really, it's this really nice, cool. <laughs> it's, it's very decorative. Yeah. I think it's actually, if you wanted to kind of juxtapose it to any contemporary kind of thing, the Marvel world is a very apropos. It's got all of the same accoutrements and it's got the same level of belief or even Disney world. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Right. Do you think we're misinterpreting everything about ancient Egypt? <laughs> no. I don't, I don't, I just think we'd be surprised if we were transported there. I'm sure. I'm I think sure. that you can never fully understand what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And and I also think that that even though there's great continuity from our old kingdom um, pyramid texts all the way through the new kingdom and later book of the dead, you know, we're talking about many thousands of years of history and things were obviously changing. You know, they're not doing exactly what they're doing in the year 2500 BC. They're not doing the exact same thing in the fourth century BC. Right. I'll, I'll wager. But the roster of gods are are the same, roughly the same. That is true. Yeah, it just gets bigger, right? But but you know, Christianity has evolved More in the Rococo. last two thousand years, and you know, so things things do evolve. <laughs> right, but that's a it's a much smaller roster. <laughs> that's true. It's, uh, that's you know, true. I guess that's another topic for another <laughs> topic for another day. Okay. Do either um, of you have final thoughts? Final thoughts. Uh, it's all about serving the man. <laughs> getting off this, getting off of this, uh, this earthly coil, mortal coil, whatever kind of coil <laughs> this is, heating coil. Oh man, I think it's all about uh, putting your best foot forward in this life, so that when you're weighed against truth, you won't be eaten. You just don't want to be eaten by a monster. I don't. Yeah, I don't want to disappear having been eaten by a monster. Yeah, correct. Yeah, how'd that work for the ancient Egyptians? I'm just saying my final thought. Okay. I have no final thoughts. (laughs) That's a very Zen attitude, though. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly it. Good place to stop. All righty. I will stop us.
Well, this episode has me looking nervously out my front door for a meet the devourer. In the meantime, though, we'd like to thank Erez Dessel, Community Engagement Coordinator for the Chicago Philharmonic, for our theme music. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, the Dumont Television Network, now a division of Yoyodyne Propulsion Systems. Be sure to catch thrills and chills from everywhere, usually from 8.30 to 9 on Sundays. And so, to get in touch, leave us a comment. Hit the little heart-shaped button to show that you care. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at, at @thisancient, and on Facebook. Yes, we're trying to up our social media game. Contact us via email at thisweekintheancientneareast, it's all one word, at gmail.com, or send us a postcard at P.O. Box 1177, Boston, Mass., 02134.